If you have thyroid eye disease and you go through artificial tears in the blink of an eye, it might be time to discover another treatment option. To learn more, visit treatmyted.com. That's treatmyted.com. Talking Single is a podcast featuring three strong women raised between Lagos and London, but we all live in London. We talk about life, love and everything in between, challenging stereotypes and questioning what it means to be a woman navigating life today. Our podcast is called Talking Single simply because it's what we do and who we are. Enjoy. This episode is a bonus episode we did not know we would be recording. But in light of everything going on right now, and as black women, we thought we would speak our truth. In the aftermath of the death of George Floyd, everyone I know who is black has been triggered. It was the last straw for all of us. We are angry, we are sad, and we say enough is enough. No more killing us and no more treating us less than because of the color of our skin. It has gone on for too long and we have had enough. Hi, I'm Crystal and I'll be hosting the topic today, Black Lives Matter. With me, I have my girls, Keisha and Reedy. Hey, girls. Hi. Hey. And I also have our resident special guest, Rashida. Hey, Rashida. Hello. 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 Welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So um, how is everyone feeling? I know we've all been triggered by the events. Where is the anger, the sadness, the roller coaster of emotions coming from? Um, I, I don't mind going first. I'm sort of along, thinking along the lines that the anger is still there. Um, and it's been, you know, a um, few a week now or more and um I still feel angry not as angry I'm really proud of the people going out there and protesting and I've learned to sort of um zone out a little bit from social media so to avoid the effect that it has on me myself in my case I'm battling quite a few emotions um and I'm actually trying to work through them as well Mm. There is a, I'm weary, mm. you know, I'm weary about all the things as black people we face and we have to deal with. We are wounded and we're having to explain to white people why we are wounded. So I'm weary of that. I'm angry about all the things that have happened. And as you said, I have been triggered by all the stuff that I have accepted over time and saying to myself, why have I had to accept all of this just because of the color of my skin? And I'm completely fed up and out of patience with the systems that continue to allow these things to happen. Mm. So I'm feeling all kinds of emotions at the moment. Well, for me, funny enough, I don't feel anger per se. I feel some sort of relief that finally, hopefully, this, all this protest will bring conversations to the forefront, conversations about conversation about systems that have allowed a lot of um what's the word 
preventing, um, treating people differently because of the color of their skin. I'm happy that the conversations will be had now. And my hope, I mean, for me is the relief that maybe now would all be unapologetically black in whatever form, shape or way we are. And that we're not going to fold ourselves because somebody else or a system feels uncomfortable about it. Mm. So now if you're going to rock your Afro or your African prince to work, so be it. And yeah, so it's more relief for me that finally the conversations will be had. Um, For me, it's been a roller coaster. I've cried, I've literally cried every single day this week. And I've watched strong black men cry this week as well because we've all been triggered and I've been angry as well. And I just, the death of George Floyd is definitely a big part of it. Just seeing someone just murdered because of the color of his skin. And that for me was just, at first it was sadness. And then obviously when the police officer wasn't arrested, he has been now, but then it turned into anger. And then also um, going to the next part of my question, which is um, the black community in the UK are really angry because some white people here in the UK think racism is not a problem at all here. It's far away in America. They don't need to concern themselves with it. And now that we're voicing our opinions, people are protesting. It's like, oh my God, you experienced that? Oh, really? So some are being defensive. Some are saying sorry. Some are joining us in the protests, which is good. Um, I think when we talk about these issues, such as race and inequality, it's very important to back everything we say up with facts. Mm -hmm. So I did some research Mm -hmm. and I came across some statistics which were really um, impressive, um, disturbing, but impressive. Um, And... Um, it's from uh, it's a report from the Equality and Human Rights Commission and it reads our in-depth analysis of existing evidence outlines a worrying picture of race inequality our statistics highlight five distinct areas where the need for improvement is essential They are employment, education, crime, living standards, and healthcare. And they outlined um, each one. So employment. Unemployment rates were significantly higher for ethnic minorities at 12.9%, with 6.3% for white people. Black workers with degrees earn 23.1% less on average than white workers. In Britain, significantly lower percentages of ethnic minorities, 8.8%, worked as managers, directors, senior officials, compared with white people, 10.7%. 
And this was particularly true for African or Caribbean black people, which is 5.7%, and those of mixed ethnicity, 7.2%. We are all directly affected by this. Like the four of us are really directly affected by this in our workplace and in every facet of our life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how many CEOs, how many black CEOs or black directors have you seen? I've not worked in a, I work mainly in the not-for-profit organizations, but it's very hard to find a black director or a black CEO. Mm. I mean, if you think about corporate Britain, I've worked for two multinationals at a global level. Um, I think in one where I worked for many years, there were probably two black directors in the global HQ. In a company of thousands. (laughs) Uh, And the same thing I'm experiencing right now. Mm. You know, and you look around and you, it, it, it really annoys me that you have to be, and I guess we will talk about this later, as black people, which one of us has never been told you have to be, you have to work twice as hard yep. to yeah. be considered just as good. Exactly. Yeah. How many of us have not, I mean, I've heard us in growing up that our parents tell us, you know, the way to succeed is you have to do double That's or right. you have to exceed in everything just to be considered equal. You need to get that degree, get that master's, get those certifications, yeah. things that your white counterparts don't need in order to progress their careers. But you, you without it, you can't even get your foot in the door. You know, yeah. yeah. So I'll give an example. So on a place where I worked for eight years or nine years, eight years. So when I got fed up, I moved to another place. So when I was the, my last day at the old job, there was this director. He was his Afro, from Jamaica, I think. So he comes up to me and asks, like, oh, um, Rashida, why are you leaving? I was like, well, I just didn't think I fitted fitted here anymore. I needed a change. And he was like, why didn't you come to me? Why didn't mm. you why didn't you come and speak to me? But at the time I wasn't I didn't have a direct relationship with him. But for me, it was when I looked around at all the people that could potentially have understood what I was feeling and all, none of them were people that I I didn't feel any sort of kinship to them because one, they were all white, middle-aged men. So mm. I, I didn't feel like anything I was feeling or or I could express anything they could relate to. So I just like, oh, the next best thing is to find opportunities outside where I work in, which I did eventually. But this man, this Jamaican man was like, you should have come to me. I understand your struggles. Mm. And he then pointed an interesting fact that in that company, I think there were only three black directors in the whole, maybe about, 100 or 150 directors, only three of them. And he was one that was particularly not liked. But why wasn't he liked? Because he was unapologetically black. Himself, yeah. Black. He was, sometimes he had to be brash to mm. get things done and direct because he was consistently, he told me himself, he was consistently given projects and tasks that nobody wanted to touch. Mm. But because of his abrasive and direct nature he was able to deliver those things against all odds so yeah yeah so what about education on 
in education, Black Caribbean and mixed white Black Caribbean children have rates of permanent exclusion about three times more than that of the pupil population as a whole. And then in crime, rates of prosecution and sentencing for Black people were three times higher than that for white people. 18 per thousand population compared with six per thousand per population for white people. Then for sentencing, it was 13 per population for black people and five per population for white people. If you're an ethnic minority person, you are still more likely to live in poverty Our evidence shows that 35.7% of ethnic minorities are more likely to live in poverty compared with 17.2% of white people. That leads, that kind of ties back to education, crime, your sentencing, because obviously if you have terrible education, if the person falls into crime, gets sentenced, has a criminal record, by but life default, is different. Exactly. There'd be so many jobs you and can't opportunities that are no longer an option for that person. So they're doomed to low-paying wages. Yeah. So this is Black African women had a mortality rate four times higher than white women in the UK. There is a significant dispro- disproportionate number of ethnic minorities detained under health mental health legislation in hospital in England and Wales. Black African women were seven times more likely to be, ta- to be detained than white British women. I'm feeling all kinds of way right now because this is what we mean when we talk about systemic racism. Mm-hmm. You cannot have these kind of statistics in a society and we say that there is equality. There is mm-hmm. no equality in this it's kind none. of system. This is what systemic racism it's about. means. And therefore, when people say we are in a better situation in America, I say to those people, you are dreaming. We mm. are not. This is actually worse because there it is so overt and in your face. This yeah. is not so subvert. It is not obvious. Yeah. Yep. And that's why these kind of statistics need to be made even more available amongst our peers in our dialogue so people can actually understand when we say systemic racism does exist. Exactly. And how you perceive and how you've been brought up to perceive black people is in fact different from how you perceive and being brought up to, 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 to look and view a white person, you know, and I know there's this argument that, okay, people, relate more to people that are like themselves. But if you're truly not looking at colour, then people like yourselves will be the people around you in the same circumstances, in the same environment as you. But if we're saying that you're giving a job to somebody that's like you because they're white and would fit into the team, um, and that's what you're used to, that to me is racist behaviour. I'm sorry, I I, I don't want to call it white privilege. It is racist behaviour. I think they're different, though. But I know, um, we'll Crystal, you had, guess, a, yeah. you had a question. You uh, yeah. yeah. So we'll get to that um, mm. later. Um, I just wonder why in the UK it's like 
you can't mention racism. It's like, it's not real, it's not real. No, 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 that doesn't happen here. And for me, it for me, it started for me with the whole Meghan Markle debacle and the media. I was outright, this is racism, but there were so many arguments like, no, nope, this isn't racism. But, you know, anyways, moving on. Um, let me take um, into that with this, with um, Meghan Markle and anybody that has been treated unfairly because of the color of their skin. I think one thing people sometimes forget is you don't have to use the N word on somebody to to be racist towards them. Mm. But for some certain people, they're like, "Well, I've never used the N word. I've never used it. I think it's a disgusting word to use on people." Therefore, I'm not racist. But then, but you're forgetting there are other ways where you're where they're upholding systems that discriminate against other people solely because of their ethnicity and color of their skin. Can you give examples for um, a, of a racist experience you've had in the UK? Oh yes, so I had an experience at work. Christmas, we had gone for Christmas drinks. Started like six o'clock. This person had been out early on in the day, so had been drinking. So it turns up at the Christmas party uh, for the organization, a big buzzed. And generally, I always gave him a wide berth because I was, I was never a big fan of him. And he comes up and keeps jibbing, jabba, 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 jabba. I walked away from him because I didn't want to hear anything he had to say. But I didn't even know that was not even the worst part of the night. His manager then comes up to me and then comes up to us. And he then turns, hi, la, 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 this is Joe Bloggs. He's on our team. This is Jane Doe. She's on our team. And this is Rashida. This is our diversity hire. Mm. It took, her, uh, took us a long time, but we got there eventually. And I was like, um, <laughs> excuse me? And because it was a pub and it was dark and it was loud, the lady didn't hear properly. So she was like, what? And... He repeated again, said, this is Rashida, our diversity hire. We're talking about it. And it took us a long time, but we finally got her in. In fairness, it took a long time to get my onboarding process done. But I sat there, I stood there like a statue. All I remember at that point was my ears were hot. Mm. I don't think I've ever felt that humiliated in my life. Because at that point, and for weeks and months after that, I started questioning, why did he hire me? I knew at that point I had a choice. Either ignore this, fold myself into this uncomfortable position so that I don't ruffle feathers, or I damn all the consequences and go to HR and do the right thing. Mm. I'm glad I went to human resources. And as I've said before, and I'll say time and time again, it just made it clear that the systems that were quote and unquote um, designed to protect everybody was proven to be a flawed system that only supported a few. He was let off with a slap on the wrist. I was labeled the angry black woman. So I decided to take the action into my hands and I asked him why he hired me. Was it because I'm black or because I was a woman or because I was a woman in technology? Yeah. I wanted to know. At that point, I think he felt the shame. And he then said, sorry. Mm. That's definitely yeah, perspective. So, so the same system that I thought would back me up did not back me up. 
they just slapped him on the wrist like don't do that again and now i have leave i have to live with the reputation as somebody that tried to get somebody fired yeah um we've also got a special guest here with us jp hey jp welcome to talking single podcast hey nice to be here how you guys doing we're good nice to have you great great um, I'm just going to introduce you a little bit. So JP um, lives, has lived in the UK, was born and brought up in the UK. Is that correct, JP? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Born and raised. And you moved to uh, Berlin about two years ago? Um, actually, about four years ago now. Three four and a half, years. Four years oh, ago. Wow. Yeah, I've been here for a while. I'm a veteran. Okay. Um, so JP, do you have... Um, a racist story you'd like to tell us one you've experienced in the UK yeah actually it's um, it's a stop and search story Mm -hmm. Um, and this actually occurred in kind of like uh, my hometown in the UK so uh, I'm actually from Luton Mm -hmm. but I'm from this little town next to Luton um, so north of London and everyone knows Luton for their airport. It's what they're pretty much well known for. Mm. But I'm from this um, town, which is still part of the Luton postcode, but just on the edge. And it's um, and so I was kind of raised on the edge of this town, where you know you've got kind of a very kind of um, uh, multicultural community on one side of the road, and then you've got on the other side of the road, it's just a very white community. Um, and it's very, the divide is very obvious as well. And you see that in like the catchment in the, uh, you see that in the schools as well. So in the schools in the area, they tend to reflect the, the, uh, the children and the, the kind of demographic of the area. Um, so when I was around about kind of 15, 16 and starting to kind of get into the whole going out culture, um, with some of the guys, uh, that I was that I was going to school with, um, we we got stopped and searched. Now in my, my school, we were only about three. I think there was only about three three black boys in in my year, out of maybe I don't know two hundred. I think possibly maybe two hundred. Um, so it gives you an idea, you know, of the on like kind of what the demographic was like in the area. Um, and so in this school, like we're about 14, 15, and then one time we were going out and I think we we're heading to a friend's house. And so we went through this park and on one side of the park is a police station. And then on the other side of the park is just like, you know, suburban area. And we're walking through there. And there was about nine of us, maybe 10 of us going through there. But it was me, the two other black boys in my year. And then um, we were walking to the friend's house and we were with six, maybe seven other, other white people. And then um, we didn't realize that there was, you know, a squadron of police just patrolling the area for whatever reason. And this was maybe about eight or nine o'clock at night. So I wasn't actually supposed to be out. So I didn't tell my dad that I was actually out. And it was quite dark at this time as well. So I was kind of breaking rules, you know. Um, and then one time we actually got stopped. So we just crossed the road and we saw the squadron of police officers. But um, the people that we were with, they didn't think anything of it. They were like, okay, you know, we're just going to go past the police officers up the road and then take a left. And then um, the police officers saw the three of us with them and they actually stopped us and searched us all. I was searched the three of us, the three black boys, and uh, they actually let blatantly all of the, all of the white kids go and um, continue on their way. And 
at this point as well, it was kind of a, it was, it was kind of a laughable matter. You know, we're kind of 15, 16. It's our first time actually like experiencing, well, not because I mean, at that age, it was kind of our first time experiencing kind of institutionalized racism in that way um, and interacting with the police. And I think actually um, the reason why the police were quite strict in the area is because there were some, uh, apparently some boys from Luton coming down to Dunstable, the area, and causing some havoc down there and causing some some um, trouble from like a, a school in Luton or whatever. So I think they just always assumed that we were those boys. So for a good few months, we just continuously kept on getting stopped and searched, stopped and searched, like in the town. So as a 15-year-old, being singled out solely because of the colour of your skin. How did that feel? Yeah. Um, Good question. At the time, it kind of, at the time, it didn't really make me angry. You know, it didn't really frustrate me because I wasn't aware of what that meant, I didn't. I wasn't aware of what of what being stopped and searched actually meant to, you know, what it was actually telling me about the police force, what it was actually telling me about the society that I was living in. I didn't realize that me being stopped and searched there was actually them assuming that I'm a criminal, that I'm assuming that I'm guilty, that I'm going to have something on me, and I didn't really take into consideration the implications of that. You know, how dangerous and how bad that can actually be for. Um, you know, the wrong, the wrong person that they stop and search, you know, like, um, luckily I was like, you know, quite a, quite a calm, relaxed kind of person. So I was like, you know, I've not done anything wrong. So nothing bad is going to happen. But, you know, with a lot of people, you know, and I understand this with a lot of people, you start assuming that they're a criminal and that's exactly what they become. So, um, yeah, I mean, it took me a while to become a little bit politically charged and mm. uh, to realize that, you know, that is really wrong. And, you know, be it someone else, it could have gone completely differently. Mm. And, you know, it's very easy for me because, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I had quite um, quite a lot of guidance in my life, but someone who maybe didn't have as much guidance in, my, in their lives could have easily become what the system assumed they were, which is, you know, criminal. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, JP, what is it like for you as a black man living in Germany? And what's the difference between the system- systematic racism in the UK and that of Germany? Um, I think it's a bit different being in Germany to the UK. Um, I think one, because in, in the UK, I mean, I speak English, my mother tongue. In Germany, my German's, you know, in Berlin, my German's not great so a lot of what is being said is kind of going over my head and I'm not tuning into you know listening and paying attention as to what people are actually saying um so it's kind of hard and I think in Berlin anyway it does seem to be a lot more it's a city where everyone is really kind of there's not much diversity but everyone's very open-minded and accepting you know Uh, and it's kind of strange. I feel like in the UK, around London, there's more diversity, but I feel like yeah. actually people are less open-minded mm-hmm. uh, and accepting, and it's a bit odd. I definitely okay. feel like I've experienced more, um, you know, racism on a day-to-day basis in the UK, I feel, than I have done oh. being here in Berlin. Um, oh. But when I, when I go outside of Berlin, then, you know, I do 
still get like sometimes those um, those little looks maybe from kids they're just kind of staring at me because I'm like the first black guy they've actually seen in real life or something mm. Mm. staring at me and tugging on their mum's hand or something like that or you know but um, on the average I don't really experience it here mm. Mm. that's interesting actually mm. um, um, just talking about children tugging at their mothers um and, uh, clothes. I remember a friend of mine who lived in Malta and um, he was dating a Maltese girl and a kid asked his mum, he hadn't seen a black person before, oh mum, who is that? Why is that person dark? And the woman replied because his skin's dirty. Whoa! Wow. Yeah, but she, she said it in their language but he was dating a Maltese girl and she interpreted it for him. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's what we're dealing with, though. Sorry, that tells you what we're dealing with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he replied. I think he's 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 not a man that can be silent. So I think he said something. But yeah, not nice, not cool. And that's what you're telling your children. So when your child grows mm-hmm. up, he's gonna yeah. think black people are dirty. Cool. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so oh. moving on. Um, do we feel like white people in the UK are gaslighting us in not admitting that, that there is a problem here? Um, what do we think? I think, yes. I think the silence, especially in some organizations that are not addressing the issue, um, pretending the issue doesn't exist, yet having things, you know, like diversity hire out there. I mean... That triggers me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, I think... I think, to me, I think the the term white privilege seems to be something that sugarcoats the problem that's a lot deeper than that. I think if you're not championing the fact that we're all equal and all need to be treated the same, then you are part of the problem. And yeah. you being silent shows that you're happy to accept that privilege um, in whatever form you get it. Um, and taking advantage of that privilege. And that's sort of my, my view on that. And it also, oh, yeah. silence, sorry, um, JP, silence could also be a way of burying their head in the sand, not trying to, in their comfort, comfort zone or happy place. When, if they admit there's a problem, then they have to move out of this comfort cushion spot and do something, and do something which is not the easy option. The easier option is just pretending, oh no, they're just protesting we're because of George Floyd. We have no racism here. Yeah. 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 So um, what are your thoughts, JP? I think, um, I think yes as well. I do think that, uh, you know, the UK is just, I think they're struggling to deal with the shame of their past in a way, mm-hmm. you know, um, and they're struggling to come to terms with it. And so they're just burying it and burying it and burying it because, I mean, I think they they acknowledge that racism is bad, yes, but they obviously can't admit that there's anything wrong with them, which means that they, they yeah they can't really admit that there's anything bad about them in a way, and it's they're in a state of denial, mm-hmm. and it's very hard for them to kind of just say, okay, maybe there's some issues that we need to iron out here. And they're not willing to do that, so they're just willing to. They're just going to gaslight instead. Mm. 
Yeah, I think I think yeah, we're being gaslighted at the moment, and also there's this oh my god, I didn't know that happened to you. Oh my god, oh I didn't know you've experienced that, and it's like, um, what do you think is going on here? Like, how can you not see that there's no equality in this country? And so yeah, that gets me. That makes me angry. I feel like it's better that. They should just accept it. Okay, yes, we've been wrong. Let's see what we can change. I mean, a lot of people are angry at Boris because Boris said Black Lives Matter, which I thought was like, oh, he said Black Lives Matter, great. But they're like, uh, what of all the things he's done in the past and said in the past? Mm -hmm. It's one thing to say Black Lives Matter, but mm -hmm. what of making change or saying, I support you, we're going to look into those statistics that clearly state that there's an inequality in this country yeah. and do something about it. I saw, um, so I had the protest yesterday. Um, I saw a, uh, sorry, it was actually, let me take that back. It wasn't actually me that saw it. It was actually a friend of mine that saw it that I was with at the protest and I just caught the back of the person. But um, he said this lady just pulled up with um, this really big guy and then she was wearing this big coat and then the big guy takes off the coat, hands her like a placard where she holds it up and says, Black Lives Matter. She got a few photos taken by a professional photographer. And then she ended up no. the, the guy put the coat back on her and then she jumped into her G-Wagon and then they drove off. No. influencers, one-on-one. Exactly. And so I think you know, a lot of people are capitalizing on this and a lot of people are just jumping on the bandwagon because it's popular, yeah. you know, they're trying to become part of the populace or whatever. And I think that people like uh, Donald Trump, uh, not Donald, sorry, I'm getting them confused, Boris Johnson. Boris. <laughs> <laughs> are, actually, um, are actually doing that. And even with the with the NFL as well, like only recently since all the protests. Yeah. Exactly. Now they're saying, oh, maybe, you know, Kaepernick was, uh, was not such a, a bad person. Mm -hmm. I'd like to interrupt. I think, in my opinion, that, um, statement by the owner of the uh, chairman of the nfl i think it was just it felt like he was reading from a teleprompter mm -hmm. and they just wanted to get on the bandwagon of black lives matter because they know this is my this is my thoughts that lots of black people are angry and triggered if you look at the number of players in the nfl a huge proportion of them are black men mm -hmm. and if enough of them kneel they cannot afford to not play that number of black men. So they're like, well, let's just say, yeah, we agree, yeah, we agree. I'm gonna say matter. But the truth is, ideally, I mean, in an ideal world, all the black men should kneel and refuse to play until yeah. things are made for. I guess everyone has bills to pay, so mm. you decide what you can accept or not. I gotta be honest with you. I I think I disagree with that. Um, really? I don't think. It, yeah, I don't think it's actually the because I mean at the time a lot of other um, NFL players were behind Kaepernick as well, and a lot of them were kneeling and they didn't do any. They didn't say anything then. It's only been since the the white populace has really gotten on board that they've decided. Oh, actually, our audience are seem to be more for this Black Lives Matter movement. So let's appeal to them. Um, and you see it all the time in the world, you know, until like kind of the white audience, the white market get behind something, mm. no one's ever really going, it, does not, it doesn't really have power, whatever it is. Yeah. You know, the power is still within the white majority. 
and until um, and no, I mean, like no organization is really marketing to anyone else. They're really trying to get the white majority on board because they realize and they know they know that's where the power is as well, which is why they're marketing marketing to it. I mean, I've worked um, in marketing for a bit, and you just notice that nobody wants to market to the African continent. Nobody. Even if you go there today and you start listening to Spotify, you'll realize actually you can listen to Spotify without any adverts when you go to, um, when you go to the African continent because nobody wants to spend their money on marketing to, to Africans because you know, they feel like it's not worth it. I think that is changing, though. I mean, I work in corporate, and I know that there are seeing the opportunity, but for me, it's almost in a very opportunistic way. How do we capitalize on this emerging market is what they call Africa. How do we capitalize on this? How do we get the best out of this? So it's almost like, you know, we talk about black athletes and how you use them because you know that they are so good and you see them almost like a commodity mm. and you treat them in that way. So the way I see, I think corporate world sees Africa as this untapped opportunity that we can capitalize on. So we do have to appeal to them in some kind of way. But actually, when we think about what's happening in, in Britain and in the UK, I completely agree with JP. Until the white majority get behind the cause, we are just talking to ourselves and mm. repeating our stories to ourselves. That's mm. it. So the, the point, the, the cause has to, so, so the, the original question of, do we feel like white people are, are gaslighting? Yes, and until we can activate people in our circles to stand up and do something, we are just talking to ourselves. And that's, for me, the thing that I want to kind of effect change around. And that's mm. the thing that gets to me that, you know, I can't be quiet anymore. I can't sit down and be satisfied about being the only black person in my whole business. Mm. I can't be quiet anymore. I have to kind of make noise and get these people that are gaslighting to stop and acknowledge that there is a problem, there is an issue, they are part of it, it is systematic racism and they need to do something and hold them accountable. And that's, that's the thing that really gets me, that we, they have to get on board, they have to see that there is a problem in the UK. That for me is where we start to see change happen and become really effective. Yeah. Yeah. Because talking alone isn't going to cut it. That's really good. I agree. Um... I mean, so if we look about how can we actually make change, I mean, as uh, we as black people, do we, how can we make sure real change happens here in the UK, America, you know, and wherever we are facing inequality and systematic racism? I mean, have we got some ideas or how? Absolutely. I think, I think there's, um, um, this is more in America. They're really talking about the economy, how do we black people start? Well, one of the things that they're saying is that let's start supporting black businesses. Let's take our money away from this system is one of the things they're saying because that is the only language these guys understand. Once we start buying and selling and doing everything within our community, they will stand up, they will start to see us, they will see how much we spend and they will start to listen. And also... They're saying that we need to start creating our own community like the Jews do, you know, and start helping each other out and start being one. And I, I, I kind of agree with that a little bit 
we need, like, for example, if you're a director somewhere, start hiring black people. I've seen other um, ethnic minorities do that all the time. You just see this team, it will just be full with that one ethnicity and you'd be like, what's going on here? And nobody questions them. I think we black people need to do that a little bit more. We need to pull each other up. We need to support each other. We need to create our own community and support that community. If we see a black business that's, you know, upcoming and we think it's going to be good, let's support it. Let's tell each other about it. Let's yeah, advertise let's it. Into the stereotypes that black businesses, you know, don't do well. If we find one that isn't doing well, then give them some constructive feedback. Yeah. Give them time to change and to improve yeah. and still support them. Exactly. If, you know, they don't. Yeah, totally. One of many and, you know, it shouldn't be, we shouldn't be thinking that, you know, we can't do it. We should always support each other. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. talked about our work and this was with respect to women in the workplace. And, the, and I think it's a good thing to apply to black people as well. So for women is if you haven't got a seat at the table that makes the decisions, women should go out and form their own tables and invite their own people to the table. So with black people as well, if we don't get a seat at the quote unquote tables that already existed within our own communities, we form our own tables and bring our people there and empower our people, be through supporting the businesses, education, mentoring, internships, body systems, anything to just break the cycle of disadvantage perceived or actual disadvantage by black people i i agree i mean like we we do need to have kind of our kind of own communities and our own power kind of there as well but i think one thing that's more powerful than that because to do that is to build it all up from the ground in a way well not even all up from the ground because we do have you know businesses there already we do have like you know some infrastructures there already what i'm saying is it's like it's better when we actually make the European or the American market, in my perspective, dependent on the African and the black markets. Because when we do that, when, when the European market realizes that actually 10% of their, their total GDP is tied into the African market or the black market, you will notice that they will not allow um, anything to disrupt that. You know, They're not going to allow um, maybe a company to come in and try and disrupt uh, the economy in the Congo, for example, mm-hmm. when they get when actually 10% of their GDP is actually dependent on that. They're not going to allow wars to happen around the area. They're going to be paying more focus on them because they're trying to protect their investments. And that's how we need to actually think. What we need to do, I feel, is actually by providing, because I mean, Africa is so rich in resources. We, we all know it and it has been forever. Everyone knows it. The thing is, it's been exploited forever. So how do we get around that? We need to maybe put in place legislations that actually means that, like, you know, companies like um, Apple, companies like Samsung that are getting cobalt from places like the Congo have to do it in a more responsible way. You've been listening to the Talking Single Podcast. Want to continue the conversation? Then follow us on Instagram with the handle at Single Talks Podcast. Tag us on any post with the hashtag SingleTalks. And trust us, we will look at every post you send.
then head over to our website, singletalkspodcast.com, where you can find all our podcast episodes. We are also downloadable on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and other podcast platforms. Don't forget to leave us a review. You can also email us at singletalkspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to have your comments, questions, or even future topics to cover. Till next time, take care.